Welcome to Men on Mission, a podcast brought to you by Men of the Kingdom. Our goal is to help encourage and equip men to live on mission for Christ 24-7. It's far too easy in our culture to sit back and to complain about the state of our world. But we believe that God calls the church to rise up and to take action, especially the men. With that, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Men on Mission. All right. Well, Poe, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's super fun to have you here with Men on Mission. Uh, it's been just a truly a privilege and an honor to get to watch you live life day after day, week after week, year after year. I've known you for my whole life, and it's just been so cool to see uh, the way you love mom so intentionally and so just um, beautifully. It, it's just a beautiful picture of the gospel and the way that Christ loved his church. And then it's been awesome to see the way you've led our family, and not only the way you've led as a family man, but also the way you've ran a business and being a CEO of, of Odom Health and Wellness. Uh, I've got to see that close up and all the hours shadowing you uh, in the clinic and just all the different things. It's been really cool to see how you lead there. And then in really every sphere of life that you, that you in, enter into, you enter with purpose and with passion. And so it's been really, really cool to see over the years, just the man that you are and to learn from you. And I'm grateful to have you on the podcast. As we dive in, you know, I just wanted to start with this question. What's a one way that you lived on mission this last week? Yeah, I think, you know, every day, you know, as a follower of Christ, you, you try to have that first and foremost in your mind to live on mission um, whether it's in your family or in your work. And I would say just in the way that, you know, I, I interact with my patients, you know, just kind of with a heavenly mindset that uh, there's, a, there's a great physician and, um, and there's more to us than just the physical body. And I would say that that's one way this week I've been conscious of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All of that. You know, Doc, I've also had a front row seat to watch you live on mission, um, not only as a patient uh, within your clinic, but also watching you lead your family. Uh, can you delve into each one of those, or maybe one or two of those roles uh, in your mission field, and really how you live with purpose uh, as a man on mission in each one of those specific mission fields, and kind of what you feel your role is within those missions? You know, you got your family, you've got the clinic, um, you've got the group of men that you lead. You lead in so many different areas. Give, give people a, a vision of what it looks like to be a man on mission. You know, I, I think a lot of young men, they, that, that's probably the biggest question that confronts them is, you know, what, what does my mission look like, God? What, what does doing your will look like, God? You mm -hmm. know, and I think, I remember for me as a, as a young person, that was one of the questions that really, um, I had to wrestle with a lot, you know. And honestly, I mean, there's still days now in these new seasons of life that that I still kind of go back to those questions. But I think, you know, if you have first and foremost that that serving God and glorifying God with everything that He's given you and every part of your life is your main mission, then um, that naturally kind of permeates everything you do, whether it's your family, your work at the grocery store, wherever, um, God uses you wherever, if you are conscious of that, if you continue to abide in him. And I think that that's really what's key. And so how that's looked for me is, is like you said, in the, the main kind of areas of my life, I think first and foremost, it's, it's my family. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's the first mission, that's the first calling. 
is, you know, how do you represent Christ to your family? How do you become that family shepherd? And so, you know, I think as as Christian men, that that is our kind of our first responsibility is is teaching your family, serving your family in such a way that that they too want to live on mission. You know, you can you can create a household where um, you you either feel like they're on a Disney cruise ship or they're on a warship, and and I think it's really good vision. Yeah, and I think it's really the the father that kind of helps set that tone of of. Um, you know, we're here to 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 serve the Lord for a purpose to bring unbelievers to His kingdom, and um, and the culture and the war and the, and and the world is not friendly to Him, you know, and uh, nor are, are are they meant to be. And so, I think if we kind of lead our families with that mindset, it makes it makes a difference. Um, and then, obviously, as men, much of our hours will be spent at work. And so if we don't see work as our mission field or the place that we can be on mission, then we're missing also a big piece. You know, work is is more than just provision. You know, obviously it's an important part of being a man of the kingdom is to be a provider. And so work obviously has that element, but it's it's more than that. It's uh, it's seeing the interactions and the place that God has you as divine as well. And we talk about this again in Men of the Kingdom, that there's really no separation between the sacred and the secular. And so then you're able to see work as your mission field. And so, you know, whether you're a CEO or you're um, one of many, uh, it really doesn't matter. God uses everybody in their place for a time and a purpose and a reason. Yeah, amen. I love that. I want to go back to one of the things you said just about being a leader in your family uh, and talking about the difference between like the cruise ship and the the battleship. Like it as a leader, how do you... I guess navigate that space and cast that vision of hey we're on we're on a battleship and not a cruise ship and uh, is there like a moment or a tangible example that comes to mind of a time you got to do that with either me or one of my siblings or yeah just I, <laughs> the the example you can put John on the spot the, too the, if you want. The, the example <laughs> the examples are are endless right yeah. I mean the examples are every day and they're they're just endless I mean from creating Sabbath in your home. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the world and the sports and everything is 24-7, right? Yeah. We don't turn off anything for anybody. Mm-hmm. So creating a Sabbath in your home, that mm-hmm. sense that we pause for the Lord, that is otherworldly. That yeah. is worship mentality. That is we're preparing for a week for a reason. Uh, so little, you know, disciplines like that. Um the phone. I mean, that was a huge one in our house, right? So I, I can't tell you the the number of times we had, but my all my friends have phones at this age, mm-hmm. and we went tooth and nail of pushing that time and date back on the phone because we knew once we let that enter in, it 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 it'd take over in some ways. And we still had re- restrictions on the phone and phone fast and that sort of thing. But the phone was a was a huge kind of otherworldly thing, mm-hmm. worship mentality, um, dating. All right, so <laughs> all of all of you kids went to public school and um, 
and and dating is big in our culture. Everybody dates, everybody kind of, you know, cohabitates and that sort of thing. And we had very strict, quote, old-fashioned rules about dating. You know, dating is meant to be intentional. Dating is meant to be all these sorts of things. There is such thing as having a biblical perspective on dating. And so we try to instill that. That was very much pushback. That was very much countercultural. That was very much like, you know, my kids saying, I hate you right now, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, <laughs> I may or may not have been part of that. <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah. is that is very worship mentality. Yeah, um, bringing people and guests in our home, uh, opening our house to outside people, uh, being a place of hospitality. Your mom staying home and and nurturing and being kind of that um, that constant figure in your life. All those things are very battleship yeah. type. Uh, type maneuvers. Yeah, no, I love that. It just gives such a tangible vision for how men can do that. Yeah, and what I really appreciate, and I've seen you do it, is uh, your faith isn't something that you just deploy at church or maybe at mealtimes when you pray. Um, You are a watchman on the wall for your family. And I've heard you talk about when you're on mission as you're raising your kids. I've heard you say, I don't want to isolate my kids I want to inoculate my kids. And that's a part of being a protector within, you know, when you're being on mission. Could you flesh that out a little bit within your family, that idea of inoculation versus isolation? Because that's one of the more unique things I've heard you say, and I've thought about it a lot. Yeah, I think that's really important, um, you know, as Christian believers that, that, you know, more and more, certainly when you and I grew up, Dean, we, we lived in a Christian society, so it's, it's much easier to kind of, you know, not worry about the things that are entering the house. But but more and more, we're becoming kind of like Daniel exiles in this mm-hmm. land. And uh, and our God is, is very much a foreign God, and there are much, much other gods out there that are being worshipped. And so those principles and ideologies now are really flooding into the home faster than they ever had before. It's an all-out assault sometimes. It's an all-out assault. And I think you can't, as a parent, block everything, you know, nor nor are we meant to block everything. Um, I think as parenting, one of our main goals is to give them the real disease. Mm-hmm. If you give them the real disease, the real Christ, and they get a taste of that, and Christ birthed himself in them, then you have a defense that's impenetrable because now you have the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus, same Holy Spirit that lives in us, now lives in our kids. And so not that they won't undergo trial or persecution or cultural wars or those sorts of things, because they will, because God says all of his mm-hmm. people will, but they'll have the equipment to deal with it. So the inoculation comes from trying to give them or kind of trying to impart to them mm-hmm. what you know is the Holy Spirit within you. And not that God has grandkids, right? We're only a child of God. We're not grandkids of God. And so each of the kids have to make their own decision but it's much easier to make that decision when they see it authentically lived out in the home. Mm-hmm. So again, they see the real disease. They're more able to kind of understand what the real disease is and catch hold of it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's huge. Especially when you think about how catching the real disease prepares you then to go into this secular world and to live on mission. And I know you talked briefly about that divide between the sacred and secular. Um just say more about that. How do you define the difference between sacred and secular and what does that look like? Because I'm, I'm just sure for a lot of men listening, they might not have heard of that that phrasing before. Yeah, it's just the idea that, you know, I, I think 
a lot of us, Christian, non-Christian, you know, kind of make a distinction between, quote, clergy or, quote, church people and non-church people, people who are paid to to minister versus, you know, people who are not. And and so it, it sets up a divide in our mind that, you know, the, the Christian thing is meant to be left to the professional. And so we make that mistake in our work. We make that mistake with our kids. You know, we, we make that mistake with our kids by dropping off at youth group and thinking, well, I'll leave it to the professionals to teach my kids about Christ. But, but that's not that's not our role as provider. Our, our provider is spiritually to kind of provide that for our kids. Youth groups are great. They can kind of adjunct to what we're doing. But again, it has to be taught at home first. And so um, again, that's breaking down that distinction between sacred and secular, and especially in our work. You know, again, you can be you can be working at McDonald's, and it could be the very place God has you to do His work mm-hmm. to reach somebody that somebody else in the church can't reach. And so, again, if you understand that that God is everywhere, He wants to use all of us, no matter what kind of sphere we're in, uh, it turns that secular into a sacred space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Abraham Kuyper. Uh, said that Jesus looks down on the planet over every square inch and just says mine, which is also true of every minute on the clock. Uh, so you mentioned that that work is an important thing for men. Yeah, it's it's a part of our ability to provide, but we also provider is also allowing the people in our mission field to flourish. So you're a CEO of your health clinic, but you also have people across you know the state in many senior living assistant homes providing services as well. So you have a, a distributed organization. Um, how do you see your life on mission as the CEO of your organization? You know, I, th- I think small business is great, and, and I'm obviously very partial, but but I, I, I love that it is in some ways, and I don't want to say this in the wrong way, anti-government, but in some ways it's, it's, it's God establishing you know, organizations and ways that, that people can flourish. Mm-hmm. You know, so not only you provide an environment in which your family can flourish, and we kind of talked about that a little bit, but now you create a small company in which people under your charge can flourish. Mm-hmm. And that to me is tremendous. Tremendous. What a great opportunity, right? Great opportunity. Every day. Great opportunity every day to do good work. We talk a lot about the culture in our company, you know, that that people want to work for us, you know, and I and, and I obviously want to think a lot of that comes from feeling the spirit of God in the company mm-hmm. there and uh, and they being attracted to that. Uh, we don't necessarily hire all Christians. I mean, certainly uh, we look for people of good character uh, first and foremost, but they're not always Christians and we, we welcome kind of non-Christians. And again, it's kind of a microcosm, I think, of uh, of society and, and how we can influence people, how we can kind of uh, show the love of Christ in those kind of arenas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a patient, I see, I feel a different culture in your office. There is a uh, a hospitality, not just to provide the service, to minister to the body, but also to the mind and the soul. Yeah. So I see that not only through yourself, but also through your whole staff from the minute you walk in at the front desk to all the way through the care process. Yeah, how do you create that culture as a leader? You know, you, you're hiring people who are believers and aren't believers, and yet you you have this very, um, you know, intentional environment in which people get to experience care at a very high quality. So how do you kind of navigate that and making it feel like a space where they can experience the Lord? I think, you know, again, just making sure that, that you 
you you live with integrity. So so the guy that you say you are away from work is the guy that you are at work. And so um, if, if you are intentional about doing that, about living a life of integrity, then uh, that same Christ, again, that lives within you will come to work. <laughs> if, if you are a leader of the company, um, that will be expressed through the company. You know, people will see that, that you care about service. You care about people over profits. You know, you, you care about the little things, you know, uh, you, you want less to, to have the big name or the big lights, but, but more that again, God be glorified in the, in the, in the mundane. And so I think, um, you know, making sure you, you kind of bring that into work yourself into work and having that kind of integrity, I think is how it permeates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Modeling it for everybody else to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, so I've seen you live a courageous life, you know, not only at work and leading your family, uh, leading other men, um, but even in your personal uh, life where you're going at, you're, you're attacking life, whether it's on the pickleball court or in uh, endurance athletics, uh, you definitely have a, a bias for action. You're going to lean into life. Um, where did that inspiration to be such a man, a force, you know, within the culture come from? Yeah, I think um, some of it was certainly my parents, you know, mm-hmm. my yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so my, my parents uh, uh, both grew up poor, and uh, but but were loving parents. Mm-hmm. Where'd so, you grow up, by the way? So um, we moved around quite a bit when I was little. I was a military family, um, but then settled in Colorado Springs and pretty much had most of my childhood there in Colorado Springs. Um, but, you know, my dad uh, grew up in, you know, in, in New York City, so in, in, in Harlem, uh, in the projects. And uh, uh, his, his mother, you know, was, was, uh, grew up in the South and, you know, was a, was a slave uh, for a little bit. And then uh, until she moved to New York and kind of, um, you know, kind of had a, a new life. Um, so, so my dad, you know, never went, to, never went to college barely finished high school, got in the military, and that was a big ticket out for him. And, and met my mother when he was kind of on tour, and she never went to college as well, grew up poor in, in Bangkok. And so um, my my parents, it was amazing. They they didn't have a PhD, you know, in the worldly sense, but but they had a PhD in caring and loving for their, mm-hmm. their family and kids. And so um, it, it, it's interesting, you know, they instilled with me that I, I can do anything. And I think it's, so much of it is relative, right? I mean, they're like, if, if we can, you know, live here in Colorado Springs and live, you know, a uh, middle-aged or middle, uh, middle-class life, then you can do anything because you've been given a hundred more resources than us and, mm-hmm. and been given love. And so it's amazing how that, you know, was just instilled in me in that confidence. And it wasn't until I was older that I got it. I was like, you know, I have been given a lot. And so no wonder they were, they were just so overly confident. Like they knew all the time, like you're you're just going to kill it, you know. And, and both my brother and I, my brother is a very successful pilot. And so, but it there was just this constant confidence in the house that you guys mm-hmm. are going to do well, you guys are going to do well. And uh, and not, not just from a worldly sense, but from a character sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and 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 I think that just kind of carried over into my life, 
you know, like every every everything was not a closed door, it was like a, a door not opened yet. And like Oh, that's a great that's a great mm-hmm. image. Yeah. Yeah. And they gotta be so proud of you. I mean, you are a D one athlete, you're a wide receiver, you're a football player, you just trained to do a, a marathon, you make the Boston. So you have accomplished so much. You're a physician. Uh, your parents had to be so proud. Yeah, I think they were. And again, even from a young age, they they were um they had that kind of pride and confidence, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and and I think that's that's huge. Again, they they weren't as deep in their faith, I would say, as you know. Later in life, they they <clears throat> both for sure matured and and had what I would think was a genuine faith. Mm-hmm. But but growing up, it wasn't that. It was there was so much of a spiritual kind of foundation there. Mm-hmm. But but you know, we talk about this in Man in the Kingdom about being projector. They did that amazingly. They projected. They mm-hmm. were like, "This is your future." You know, and I just heard that every day growing up. Yeah. Well, you know, you've inspired, yeah, you've inspired so many people. And I hope you inspired the people to listen to the podcast. You know, in Spider-Man, you know, it said, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, you've inspired me the way you lived your life. So thank you for that great example. One of the things you had said or, or just talked about is obviously their impact on you and the way they've just called out greatness in you. Um, where did like the the faith aspect come in for you? Like, was there a person or somebody in scripture, somebody in history, or just like where in general did you get that vision of like here's what a godly man looks like? Yeah, the, it my my real spiritual journey started in junior high, and um, and again we we grew up in a family that went to church but didn't really know Christ, and so it was very cultural. I mean, for an African American to go to church is very cultural. Um, but, but there wasn't really much beyond Sunday, you know? And so, um, my, my parents got divorced when I was in junior high and that really kind of was the start of my spiritual journey. Um, as, as that foundation cracked and the reality of, of real world started to creep in, I really was looking for answers. And that's, that's when I, um, went with a friend to church and their, their church was very different. They preached the gospel and that's where I really heard the gospel the first time and kind of came to, came to saving faith. Um, and then from, from that day, just continued to pursue Christ. Obviously Christ pursued me the whole way and, um, and really got a lot of discipleship through parachurch organizations like Young Life and Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And that's where a lot of, I would say my, my development and growth came. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. I know you're a prime mover as a leader in so many different spheres, but the prime mover is God. How have you seen God moving within your different mission fields right now? Yeah, again, I, th- I think some, some of that you see, some of that you don't see, right? And I, I think, you know, I, I, as, as I get older, I'm, I'm more um, comfortable not having to see everything. I think when I was younger, I, I was obsessed with seeing everything. Like, God, I want to see this move and this move. I want to see this chess piece. I want to see your hand in this. I want to see your hand in this. And I want to see the whole board. And, and when I was young, I was kind of obsessed with that. I, I want to know how all these things are playing. I want to know that this is going to have a, the biggest impact in this area, you know, and, and I was obsessed with, you know, that kind of outcome impact. Mm-hmm. And I think as I get older, I'm, I'm more and more comfortable with God's hand, more and more comfortable with his heart, more and more comfortable knowing he is God. And, and it's okay if I don't know every chess piece, every chess move, mm-hmm. but if I am 
diligent, if I am obedient, you know, constant obedience in the same direction is 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 wisdom, is wise living. And so learning, you know, as you mature to trust God in those things and to again constantly be on mission, but um it doesn't have to be like I have to know all the pieces all the time. You know, I can just be disciplined. I can just be faithful and, uh, and God will do the rest. Mm-hmm. What what kind of created that shift for you? Because I think for a lot of men, we're so results-driven and action-orientated and we're achievers and we're go-getters and we want to see the fruit and of the harvest. So what kind of created that shift in posture for you? I think the, the older you get, the more you see wins and losses. You know, I think when you when you're young, you're a little bit naive, and you think, well, um, if I do X, Y, and Z, it's it's always going to end up this, you know. But you know, as you get older, you see great parents have prodigal children. You know, Christians suffer. You know, certainly those that are persecuted, but but you know, those that you know do all the right things still get cancer. As you get older, you see more and more of those cases, more and more things that don't make sense, uh, more and more things that just break your heart. And 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 I think as you get older, you realize like it in this life, there's a lot of things that won't make sense, you know. And that's the taste of heaven. That that's where mm. we realize like our ultimate resting place is not here. Mm. That that we are we are in the airport of life, mm. like like, but we're we're going to a different destination. Mm. And so as you get older and you experience those things, heartache, suffering. Um, trial, those sorts of things, um, you realize like <clears throat> there are people who've done everything right yeah. and still got pounded. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we see obviously examples in the Bible, but again, in your own life, you now know those things. When yeah. you're young, you you never see those things, yeah. you know. But but as you get as you get older, you see those things, you know. And and again, it, it started young, you know. When I was you know in college, the big thing you know was like, how can you you know go play in the league, you know, how can you go to the next level, you know, and, you know, I had many teammates who, when they started their freshman year, their whole thought was, I'm going to play in the league. By the time you graduate, you realize <laughs> there's only one or two of you that are going to play in the league. Yeah. And, 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 and not because there wasn't talent, you know, there's injury, you know, there's, you know, change of motivation. There's, there's so many things that happen. And and some of those things are completely out of your control. So you realize like from an early age, you're like, for every guy I know in the NFL, I know another guy who could have been there was just as good, you know? Yeah. And so again, that one experience when you're young gets multiplied when you're older. Mm-hmm. And you just realize like, it's, it's not as simple as, you know, yeah. A plus B equals C. Yeah, no, that's huge. I mean, that's that, that's a huge just piece of wisdom for a lot of guys listening to just take and realize like we're in the airport, we're not at the final destination, and this is a s- small taste of heaven. I think the the problem is we get so disillusioned sometimes when we think that this is supposed to be the final destination, and we expect everything to be perfect and things to go the way we want it to, and then we get frustrated and mad at the Lord when it doesn't go that way. So I think just that perspective shift that we're in the airport mm-hmm. is a huge just nugget for people to take away from this time. Uh, so I guess as we kind of close, is there a promise to God that you've been clinging to lately or something that you've just been really holding on to in this season of life? We we just really want to help men focus on some of the promises of God as they're walking through life. Yeah, I mean, 
one that I go back to often and, and God has, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on, on, on this promise and this verse, but uh, one that uh, I repeat often, and I think it's, it's good for men to have, you know, those kind of mantras and promises that, that they repeat often. And, and for me, a lot of times it's Psalm 23 and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And again, I could quote the whole, whole, whole verse about, you know, how he makes us to lie down, how he leads us by still and quiet waters, um, how he restores our soul. But that idea that he is the good shepherd, mm-hmm. he is mm-hmm. the good shepherd, mm-hmm. you know, is a promise I cling to all the time in good and in bad times. Um, and I would say, especially in bad times, you know, especially in troubling or confusing times. And, uh, you know, even today, my my daughter is heavy on my heart as she is going through, you know, labor pains and that sort of thing. And so, again, that, that promise, you know, comforts me that the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, and he is a good shepherd. Yeah. He is mm-hmm. a good shepherd. Yeah. And and it's not just about obedience to a tyrant. It's yeah. obedience to a loving, caring God. Yeah. That is a comforting promise to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think central to having that eternal mindset that we talk about in the kingdom is to realize uh, it's not what you're going through, it's who you're going through it with. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that Psalm 23, the way you 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 weave that in, because that'll su- supersede your circumstances. So that that's yeah. really well It focuses out. you on the character of God and who he is. And mm-hmm. do you trust who, him? Who, who he is allows you to navigate that circumstance yeah. in a way you wouldn't if you didn't know who he was. Right. Uh, so I guess just before we close, is there any final advice? Like if there's a man who's thinking about living on mission, wants to like do that, but hasn't had a model for him, like what advice do you have for men and just how they can live on mission each and every day? Yeah, I, w- I would say, um, you know, there, there I'm, I'm sure there are many men that that um, are on the sideline and want to get in the game. And, and I would say, you know, um, listen to the small, still voice. God will provide you daily promptings and opportunities to get in the game. And I would say, do it. it, it it's funny, as I was thinking about this last night, um, a, a real super spiritual, you know, deeply theological movie came into my mind. Uh, and it was The Incredibles. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the scene that came to mind, or the reason it came to mind is, I love that movie because here's a guy, middle-aged, who thinks he's stuck at a desk job doing insurance when, when he knows he's he's to be a superhero, and it's just killing him to be at a desk job, and he tries to be cheery for his family, but he knows there's more. He knows there's more, and then of course he gets the call. Mm-hmm. He gets the call that you are a superhero and you're meant to be a superhero, and that it just energizes him. He's just like on supercharge. Yeah, he doesn't even fit into his suit. Doesn't even, <laughs> doesn't even fit in the suit. It just changes him, himself, his family dynamic, everything when he realizes that, yes, I am meant for more than this life. Mm-hmm. And I think there are many men out there who are like that incredible man and, and they know they're meant for more and they are. And God is calling them to get into mission. Mm. And it's it's waiting and ready for them. They just have to accept the invitation from God. Amen. Guy, that, that's awesome. And I love the inspiration that you can provide for men on that, that, you know, they crackle with resurrection power and you're meant for so much more. Don't leave it on the sidelines in life. Um, well, I can't leave the podcast without asking a question about books. You know, I read all the time. Is there a book that has been important to you in your life and kind of developing... Uh, your uh, plan for mission, 
uh, that you might be able to recommend to the men out there? I think I think every guy should have like a, a, a top list, a top 10 list of all-time movies and a top 10 list of all-time books. Oh, there's a whole podcast right there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, think every, I think every guy should, should have that. Um, and, uh, probably, you know, obviously my, my top number one, without a doubt, hands down, is, is the Bible as far as books and instruction and, and how to teach us to, to live well. Um, but I would say, you know, in my top books is certainly uh, Vody Bauckham's book on Family Shepherd. I think that's a, a really in- instructional book. I'd say the the three best books I've read in the last two years would be Tim Keller's book on prayer. Um, Coddling the American Mind is a non-Christian book. Fantastic um, book. Yeah, by uh, by Jonathan Haidt. What's that on? And it it it's again. One of the things that's powerful about it to me is the fact that it's written by non-Christians. And these two guys write the book as, quote, social detectives. And so they look at, you know, kind of America, what has happened in the last 20 years, all this cancel culture, what what the effect of kind of iPhones and social media and that kind of stuff has been on our youth and our culture and our world. Um, and, and that, to me, has been a powerful read. Um, and so that, that's been a great book that I read in the last couple of years. And I would say the last one is, uh, a book by Brant Hansen called Unoffendable. And that has really challenged me. And so in that book, again, I'll just kind of tease or, or, or tee it up, but he talks, he really challenges the issue, is there such thing as righteous anger? And so before reading the book, I always thought that's a biblical term, mm-hmm. right? But he, he really dives into the fact that that's not really a biblical term. And really, kind of unpacks, you know, what it means to 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 live righteously, what it means to love well, mm. and 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 what's the role of anger in our lives. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a really powerful book. I got my next book. Yeah, so. yeah, it's such a tease. There's so yeah, there's so much more in each <laughs> yeah. one of those. Yeah, but we sure appreciate the time you know, yeah. coming in. I felt I feel like we could probably have you on. 10 more times and it'd be profitable. But, you know, we pray that the wisdom that you've shared will bless many others, that you will cause multiple generations to praise his name. And we also pray that you will live a life on mission. So thank you for that example. Yeah, thanks for modeling it. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, I mean, it doesn't get much much better for me. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting at the table with, you know, one of my best friends and obviously my son, and uh, as you know, the Bible says, no greater joy does a parent have than to see his kids walk in in faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And so it gives me great pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Amen. Yeah. God bless you, man. Bless you guys. You too.